0: You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network. ChristianHumanist.org
1: The stately Statue of Liberty standing 305 feet tall in New York Harbor. Except for some skilled police work, she might well have been blown up. Four members of an extremist group, according to police, plan to mine her arm and crown with dynamite. Fantastic Not according to police who say the group also aspired to invade Philadelphia's Independence Hall, to destroy or deface the Liberty Bell. One of the most sacred shrines to American liberty, the bell first sounded the news of the Declaration of Independence. Why the war on monuments? Police say the group wished to demonstrate its dissatisfaction with the USA. Even the rugged Washington Monument is reported to have been on the agenda for terrorist attack. The four arrested have connections with other extremist groups. I got nothing going on. You got nothing going on. I need something to do. We need something to do. You see nobody.
2: Thanks for downloading another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast, your source for art, culture, politics, and religion. Serious conversation that tries not to take itself too seriously. If you like what you hear, go to iTunes and leave a nice review. You can also like our Facebook page for more content and conversation. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show.
1: Do whatever that you like, do whatever, baby, cause I, oh, I don't care, yeah, yeah,
2: it's all right. All right. Hello, everybody. Uh, Danny Anderson here, assistant professor of English, Mount Aloysius College. Thanks for downloading another episode of the show. This episode is called Monuments in Memory. It may be a bit abstract, so bear with us. Uh, my favorite vacation was when my wife and her family and I went back to their ancestral land, Hungary. Uh, armed with just an old snapshot of the village the family came from, uh, a place called Sarachen, We uh, found old tombstones and living relatives. It was really cool. It was amazing, and I could talk about it all day. Um, and we also vi- visited Budapest, which was magnificent. And my favorite experience there was visiting a place called Memento Park. Now, when the Soviet Union fell, all the former Soviet bloc states left communism behind. Uh, Places like Budapest were faced with a dilemma. The city was decorated with decades worth of beautiful monumental art, celebrating communism, though. Um, What to do with those in a newly minted capitalist utopia? Uh, I happen to love the solution they came up with, Memento Park, uh, in a somewhat... Scary industrial wasteland on the outskirts of the city, Budapest gathered all the communist sculptures they could uh, they could into one place for, in the park for visitors to marvel at. And as a Westerner, it was strange and fascinating. But most importantly, what a great way to deal with the past. Um, and so I have a. In, right now in america there's a lot of issues about our own past um and i have a couple historians on here to talk to me about it i'm very happy to have two co-hosts back with me today for this special episode uh and i'm really happy that they're historians and i think they can shed a lot of light on the issues that we'll be talking about uh we have jordan poss and jay eldred together jordan how have you been
0: I'm good. How are you doing?
2: Uh, I'm doing all right. It's a little early for me, but that's okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid that's my fault. No, no, it's um, okay. It's record- uh,
2: summer vacations, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, li- listeners, we were talking beforehand. I mean, I'm I'm uh, on vacation with the in-laws right now, and in, in a condo full of people, I'm trying to find a um, little sliver of time to work this in. So,
2: <laughs> well, we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us <laughs> here. So, oh, no,
0: that's um. good. Hey, <laughs> one one thing, real quick, is that was that. Uh, Place in Budapest was that anything like the like graveyard of statues in Goldeneye?
2: You know, I've never seen this. Is people are going to be shocked? I I don't think I've seen one James Bond movie, so I I don't know. I think I saw one of the Pierce Brosnan ones. No, and I did see the first Daniel Craig one. Um, Yeah, but yeah,
0: that's a good one to see if you only see one.
2: Yeah, (laughs) Um, but no, I don't know what that was. So uh, oh,
0: gotcha. Well, there's this great scene in Goldeneye where uh, there's this like clandestine meet up in a a, basically a a junkyard full of you know statues of linen and things like that it sounds like exactly what you're talking about
2: it is and and they're just sort of arranged in a kind of a just a big circle around this i mean there's literally like i mean it just looks like a place they make concrete you know and uh and there's just a big parking lot basically that has gates around it and there's a giant circle of these (laughs) old um monuments and they all they each have a uh, little plaque describing who's in what and stuff and i i just think it, i mean like communism or not their monumental art is, is really cool <laughs> like, yeah, know, it's yeah. really great design and uh and, and so just to see all that stuff together it was like being transported into a uh kind of different reality i thought it was just really
0: interesting interesting um, mark's hinge <laughs> yeah
2: yeah um jordan you have a, a a little project going on right now don't you
0: yeah um yeah, if I can just put in a plug for it really quick, um, and, and also by way of thanks because this opportunity came to me because of our Trumpism episode. Mm. Uh, Coyle Neal of the City of Man podcast contacted me a while back and asked if I had, as a historian, any interest in doing a uh, kind of running series for City of Man Um uh, we've been recording. I think we're about to record our sixth episode now. Wow! Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, it's a long, long form project on Roman politics. Just kind of looking at, uh, it, you know, it, it does kind of devolve into both of us just kind of nerding out about Roman history uh, about half the time. But we are specifically looking at sort of. Um, the origins and development of Roman political institutions, and how those things played out under the pressures of a growing empire, and things like that. And uh, we occasionally touch on, you know, does this have relevance for today? What relevance might it have? What you know, what comparisons can and cannot be legitimately drawn? And I think we're going to, however many episodes we wind up doing, I think we're going to eventually wrap up with maybe a dedicated episode on what can we as Americans learn from kind of this long arc of Roman history. Um, we, like I said, we've recorded five um, so far. I don't think any of them has dropped yet. No, uh,
2: no I haven't seen any. Okay.
0: Yeah, we, we were actually going to record one yesterday, but we had difficulties. Um, uh, but he, he said he could take that time to like be editing them and things like that. Um, no, they, they haven't dropped yet, but they, they will begin using them to kind of plug gaps in their own recording schedule. So uh, uh, if, if, you know, for the listeners, if you haven't listened to City of Man at all, uh, i definitely check it out. I really appreciate what Coyle and Ed are doing with that show.
2: Yeah, me too. Um, mm-hmm.
0: I, I, the early episodes on conservatism and liberalism, and especially the most recent one on the um, the Trump circus at yeah. the convention, um, were pretty excellent. And I, I really appreciate what they're doing, and I'm glad to take part. So uh, check that out if you're interested at all.
2: Yeah, that was great. Um I, I like I think it would be awesome at some point if we could arrange some sort of Christian humanist network conference and and just yeah. have all these people gathered into one place. I'd love to actually meet some of these folks that I talk to and, and oh, yeah. listen to all the time. Oh, yeah. so. Um and I have a question. In uh, the Roman context, did any um emperor ever encourage uh one of the barbarian tribes to hack the email of one of their uh <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> oh that's fantastic.
2: No context whatsoever here. Um, that's okay. Um, uh,
0: yeah I, if, if I remember correctly, one of the later emperors encouraged the Cheruski to intercept some of the wax tablets traveling back and forth <laughs> <Yeah>. to Britain.
2: that's <laughs> yes. close enough, I guess. all right um, wow. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> nice. And
2: Jordan in that voice you hear Jordan and I are joined by uh, Jay Eldred, who uh, become a regular on this show. Um, Jay, how's it going with
1: you? Well, the last few days have been so hot. I felt like I've been in like one of those weird Salvador Dali paintings. But uh, <laughs> I, woke up, I woke up this morning to a nice cool breeze, so hopefully it'll cool off here. And enjoying uh, my last few days of summer break. I'm back in the classroom next week. So holy cow, you're oh, kidding me! I am. Well, I'm not teaching, but you know they require the teachers to be there a couple weeks before to get everything ready and things like that. So. Uh. I think our first I think the first day of school is the uh, August seventeenth okay, wow,
2: so we start the twenty second I guess it's not that much better, but yeah, um well, good luck to you, sir <laughs>
1: I <don't know. laughs> yeah
2: I hope your room is air conditioned at least, so um, well it is
0: <laughs> yeah props props to you guys my my wife teaches eighth grade and they go back so early,
2: yeah, um Yeah, my kids start school, uh, I think, the 24th, and I, you know, so, yeah, it's crazy. So, um, all right. Well, I do have a couple of announcements um, in terms of listener feedback I want to kind of get to. Uh, I've been encouraging people to like the Facebook page and and start participating with the show there, Uh, and we had a really great, I don't know if any of you guys saw this, a really long uh, and wonderful. I'm not even going to read it here, but uh, I encourage you to go to the Facebook page and look for a post by Sean Riley um, about our dominionism episode, Jay. And and he had some really uh, nice things to say, but he was also uh, a bit critical and, and and I think it was really useful and uh, and he provided a lot of context there. And so I um, want to really kind of put a shout out to Sean for taking the time to write this um, epic uh, Facebook post uh, to kind of uh, push back a little bit on some of what we were saying on that episode, and so uh, I really appreciate that. Take a look at that. Um, also, recently Michael Farmer has encouraged us, and this sounds like it's one of you guys' uh, hobby horses here, Jay, um, to do a show on Eric Metaxas. Um, yes. Oh yes. Man.
1: I, w- I was going to actually suggest oh, that at the end, at when we were wrapping up, but oh yes.
2: Yeah, I, for- I will. <laughs> Oh my farmer thinks it's a good idea, oh and so if he thinks it's a good idea, I'm, I'm all for it. So, um, and uh, Kristen Philippic, actually our press liaison, um, had a really interesting uh, post on there recently too about um, we had a previous e- listener email about the structure of praise songs, and that kind of prompted her to talk about a little bit about that with hymns and um, and morning psalms and that sort of thing, and uh, it was kind of interesting. So I'm really enjoying the Facebook page is, is what I want to say, and I want to kind of. Give some encouragement to uh, to listen to that. Um, in addition, we got an email actually, um, which I'm very happy to see from Texas Tim who's a longtime commenter on Christian humanist stuff. Um, uh, you mentioned on a recent sectarian review that you would be having an episode at the Wild Goose Festival on being hip. That's Those both are out now. so You can take a look at listen to those uh, or something along those lines. As a loyal listener, except for the most recent Daredevil episode, since I haven't gotten around to seeing it yet, um, I have been meaning to ask you to consider doing a topic or a show on the topic of authenticity, uh, since the notion of being authentic is often bandied around as some something of a modern Christian virtue. However... This seems to mean different things to different people, many of which are good. But often, for some reason, seem to associate uh, an emphasis on authenticity with a hipster impulse. Is playing up one's supposed authenticity truly authentic, or is it just a spin or social media branding hashtag authentic, anyone? <laughs> um, and so uh, I really like that idea. This is a, a, a term that kind of drives me crazy, especially with undergraduates. Um, they, they seem to want to find you know, express their true selves. And, 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 um, and one of my favorite books of criticism, one of my favorite critics, obviously is Lionel Trilling and, and his last major work was called sincerity and authenticity. And, uh, and I would love to actually pick up some of the, those lines. So yeah, I have got that on the list already. So that, that's uh, thank you, Tim, for, uh, that Chris, e. uh,
0: Danny, oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, real quick, just on that topic. Have you listened to the latest Christian humanist profiles?
2: I haven't yet. I haven't
1: gotten around to it. Mm-hmm. It's, I just, I just listened to it yesterday.
0: Yeah, same here. It's uh Michael interviewing the authors of a book called How to Survive the Apocalypse and they have some very, very interesting commentary on authenticity among among many, many other things. It's it's the kind of episode I might actually re listen to because it was pretty yes. rich. Oh great. Um yeah, and you ought to
1: check that out. It's very it's very good. And I know sometimes the profiles tend to be more academic, but this last one, you could tell that everyone was excited to be talking about what they were talking about. And it was very, very good. Yeah, it was, it was excellent.
2: Yeah. And what a great title. Um, (laughs) So yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that that sounds great. I, I, it's on my queue. I haven't gotten to it yet though. So thanks guys. Um, And also Chris Ebenezer, I think this was from our uh, webpage um, sectarian review podcast.weebly.com um he posted a, a comment not sure if you're aware of mockingbird and Indi- or ministries um but i was reminded of a couple of pieces i had read within the last few months on their blog um they they made they have a have I think there's a typo here. Uh, they recast contemporary culture through a len- law versus grace lens. And that was in response to one of our previous episodes. Thank you, Chris, uh, for that, too. And Chris has been participating in our little back channel dialogue, too, in really interesting ways, too. So I love having Chris <laughs> around. Uh, and finally, Connor Yerxa um, left a... Uh, a comment on the webpage too. Hello there. This is an avid listener of the show and it's pretty awesome, exclamation point. Thank you. Uh, uh, Thank you for that, Chris, or uh, Connor. Uh, It would be interesting for you guys to talk about more TV shows and movies and also about pantheism and other philosophical and religious worldviews. Anyway, keep up the great work. Um, I would love to do that and we do have a lot more kind of pop culturally things coming up um, mm-hmm. Connor so uh, be on the lookout for that those, those are in the pipeline um, and pantheism I think would be really interesting i I think that uh, um, as a as a metaphor paganism is maybe a useful way to describe a lot of what we see in the world today so um, so pantheism would be uh, uh, I'm, I'm all up for that have, if anybody has any ideas I'd be happy to hear about that um, Okay, well, that's a pretty good little uh, prelude to the actual show today. Uh, let's go ahead and get into the talk about uh, history and monuments and memory. Um, today's topic is, has the potential to be pretty abstract. We're talking about the function of memory, good or bad, in the moral and intellectual life of America. Uh, guys, what are some specific events or controversies that led to this uh, discussion? Uh, Jordan or Jay, wh- whoever wants to start this? Jay, how about I just show you? Okay, <laughs> I
1: was going to say, let's not all start talking at once. <laughs> well, you know, for Jordan and I to both be trained in history, and I guess we would call our, both ourselves historians, I'm not really sure that there's one event that I could say, you know, what what showed you that memorials were important. But in terms of, yeah. you know, the the forefront of consciousness and, you know, out there talking to other people about it, it would definitely be within the last year, year and a half, with the um, debates over removing, replacing, or renaming symbols. Um, the whole thing with the Confederate flag after the shootings down in Charleston. the um, Even changing the uh, currency with Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill. I know I've been talking to some people about that as well. So it's just a lot of different current events that have drawn the public mind back to our symbols. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's pretty much
0: the things that I, I, I mean, I think that has led more or less directly to this episode, uh, if not this discussion, just in general culturally. Um, but it's you know, I, I kind of have in my own little notes that, of course, this is not even just an American problem. Right, uh, they're they're having problems like this elsewhere in the world too. Mm-hmm. And of course, the the big image problem is in the former Soviet bloc. And you know, yes. you kind of you kind of mentioned one instance of the way they've kind of handled that. Um, there's nothing. Quite similar to that experience in the United States, but in Britain and America, we both have this kind of—I um, I hate to keep using the word struggle—but this this kind of tension about how exactly to deal with prominent former members of our society, yes. you know, former chronologically, who now uh, we would who now would not be members of polite society, right? Like, if it that way uh the big example in britain right now is cecil rhodes oh yeah who was a uh Hmm. big time i mean he, he was really involved in uh african colonialism particularly in south africa uh very much a believer in you know the white man's burden that kind of thing um but it's his family that endows the rhodes scholarship to this day um so there was a controversy in britain for a while there about removing um a uh, image or a statue of Cecil Rhodes from, I think one of the colleges in either Oxford or Cambridge, one of the big schools, Mm. um, which maps pretty closely onto a lot of the controversies we've had, you know, closer to home here in the United States over specifically, uh, former Confederates, which Mm -hmm. I I figure we'll have more to say about, but even, you know, even the founders, people like Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, who both owned slaves, um, you know, just just to name one example. I mean, we could go on all day. I'm sure. Yeah,
2: I, I that's interesting. I wasn't aware of that British um, uh, example, but it sounds so familiar uh, because that yeah. sounds, particularly because it happens at college campuses. I feel like there's something yeah. <laughs> in the air right now um, on some college campuses. Now, I do think that this is overblown in the media about college college students being too touchy feely or whatever. Um, I mean, not every school is Oberlin. Okay. And, and most of them aren't. And so, um, like, but places like Oberlin students have these really kind of, um, uh, have been staging these really sort of Uh, angry uh, protests against some of the traditions that they've inherited um, in terms of monumental art or who buildings are named after or whatever. And so, yeah, it's interesting that that's not just a a strictly American phenomenon. Uh, Jay, you were going to say
1: something. I was going to mention I hadn't thought of the British aspect of memorials until I started researching the program and and reading how different colonies Dealt with the monuments that the British left behind after the fall of the empire, especially in India.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. And are, do you have something to say about that later in the show? Um,
1: actually, I was scrolling through. I don't think so, but suffice it to say, they did fairly what what you said that Hungary did. They pretty much took all of their monuments to one place and then just let the weeds overtake them. Oh, <laughs> that's so interesting. You know, so, you, so you can go and see like the heads of old viceroy's and whatnot. Uh-huh. Out of the oh, ground.
2: Boy. That's so cool. It's almost like a, uh, a Planet of the Apes Statue of Liberty kind of aesthetic. Oh thing. my gosh! So, yeah. Um, okay. Oh, that's that's great. Um, uh, and of course, this touchiness. Uh, I see it on the literary side as well. I mean, there are obviously authors who had worldviews. People like Kipling, who are kind mm-hmm. of difficult mm-hmm. for us to um, um, deal with today in our contemporary just outlook on the world right uh what do we do with authors like that um and and so there's that's a a constant conversation that's been going on since the 90s in english um but uh but yeah and i think it has some really nice parallels to the um the monumental art and and those other kinds of uh, cultural memories that we're talking about in this show um can we talk about the confederate flag for just a minute uh i know this isn't a monument per se but um in some ways it is. I'm not sure. that that's, I think that it might be. I've seen memes on both sides of this
1: controversy. So. Well, since our episode is memorials and memory, we can classify it under the memory part of it. So. Yes. Yeah,
0: that works. Well, and,
1: and supporters of the flags
0: you know, be still being flown certainly discuss it in terms of memorialization.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, is it hate or is it heritage? This is the, the sort of options that we're given in the Facebook sphere. What do you guys think?
1: Well, when I first saw this in the show notes, I I wondered just how much we wanted to go in to talking about it, just because it is so controversial. But I would choose to think of it almost in the nature of all Civil War monuments. Um, and whenever you discuss it, there's going to be some form of controversy, whether you're in the North or the South. I grew up in Pennsylvania, and in my hometown, the city decided to arbitrarily remove... Not the monument, but the original fence around the monument. Mm. And there was a huge backlash in the community over that, and that was over just the fence around it. So, any time that you go to do talk about it, change it, maybe even, as was the case in this town, re uh, refinish it, you're going to have someone that doesn't like what's going on. Now, there is an historian, Carolyn Janey, or Janey, I'm not sure how you pronounce her last name. It's J-A-N-N-E-Y. Anyway, she notes that veterans from both sides, north and south, were aware that their monuments would shape what should be remembered and omitted from the historical record. Mm. That that what communities tell of the war had enor- had enormous potential for staking claims of authority and power over the narrative. And that within the few decades after the Civil War white northerners pretty much capitulated to confederate memory even though the north had won the war the south was dictating how the war would be remembered and i know this doesn't really answer the question but as you said at the beginning this tends to be a very abstract yeah idea and i found myself becoming more and more philosophical the more that i tried to answer these questions and i came to the conclusion that the very essence of memorials is somewhat existentialist mm. and and i had a good discussion with michael farmer about this the other day that memorials inherently how did he put it there we go contain inexhaustible depths of meaning allowing the memorial to change the viewer rather than the viewer you know creating a memory as he put it ex nihilo so it's memorials are very subjective and so going from that standpoint the question then becomes not what does it mean but what does the flag what does the memorial mean in our collective memory and that's really where the issue lies and i'm not sure that especially as it relates to the civil war that we have a well i know we we don't have a unified collective memory about the civil war
2: that's where i was just gonna go actually <laughs> because yeah. i feel like that um um that symbol let's call it a symbol the flag um is it has multiple meanings that are agendized and and honestly uh when i obviously up here in i live in central pennsylvania right now and or hopefully forever um <laughs> but uh, um Up here, I see people flying Confederate flags um, Mm -hmm. alongside American flags usually. And and so for me, the rhetoric of that, there's no Southern heritage that they're proud of. This is something about white pride, okay? (laughs) And this is something about – like there's something about like um, uh, the the racial politics at play with the flying of the Confederate flag up here. Now, in the South, I guess I can understand at least. I may not – appreciate someone who flies the confederate flag in Georgia or wherever but at least there's a a legitimate ethical claim to do so I think in terms of making that claim about heritage Um, and so right there the same flag has competing meanings behind it Um, Mm -hmm. and so this is why this is such a a controversial um, uh, image in our culture let's say. Uh, Now I, I do think that flying it on a state house is a different story than some guy flying it on his front porch. Right. I, I, that's a free speech issue to me. Right. And, and so, um, and so a lot of these things get bound up into one, we want sort of one answer about whether this is good or bad. And I don't know that that's always available to us. Um, right. And, you
1: know, and then you get the people that want to ban the Confederate flag from everything, even, you know, reenactments at Gettysburg. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I, I don't think that's the answer either.
2: But. Right. What do you think about this, Jordan? You actually are a southerner.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, um, yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, poisoning the well before I get started. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it, yeah, this is um. Well, you know, I, I hate to begin a sentence this way, but as a southerner, <laughs> uh, this is a very complicated issue. Especially um, as you know, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I had the T-shirts, you know, with mm-hmm. you know Robert E. Lee on them and stuff like that. Um, I recognize that it is extremely complicated and um as you point out there is a plurality of kind of voices or testimonies as to what the civil war means which further complicates the you you know in any possible course we could take with regard to kind of um what this symbol means and what uh what action we should take with regard to its display um i I do want to walk back one thing just a little bit though and maybe just kind of um maybe just kind of nuance it a little bit and that's you know kind of uh the i'm glad you actually mentioned this danny because um i do i have noted that a lot of friends of mine from outside the south are bewildered when they see american flags next to confederate flags right (laughs) and um and you know as a as a um, historian and a amateur vexillologist i want to point out that it is that is again the battle flag that was never a national flag of the confederacy okay um which we can talk about more momentarily uh a really interesting book in this regard is by a historian at the University of South Carolina named Don Doyle, uh, which I was assigned in a uh, grad school historiography course at Clemson Uh the book's called nations divided uh it's uh, the subtitle is uh oh shoot I, I just forgot it i think it's something like you know America Italy, and the Southern Question or the problem of the South something mm. like that uh Doyle begins. I can't really remember the entire gist of the entire book, but he begins with a very striking kind of reminiscence of traveling in Italy and seeing Confederate battle flags in Italy um, waved at soccer matches and displayed from houses, things like that. Mm. And after doing some inquiry, he discovered that uh, there is a north-south divide in Italy as well, one that is possibly Mm -hmm. even deeper than the one in the United States yeah. uh, by reasons of ancestry, of poverty, um, business, commerce, you know, fashion, culture; those are all located in the north of Italy. You know, like north, basically north of Rome up to Milan yeah. and Venice, places like that. Leaving southern Italy and what used to be the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies, um, I mean, this poverty-stricken backwater. Right. Um, and so uh, there's actually been. Uh, in Italy at various points, kind of essentially a secession movement to not have the South secede from the North, but have the North get rid of the South, because it is kind of a drag on the rest of the country. (sighs) And uh, curiously, they've kind of uh, glommed onto the battle flag as this, uh, I, I believe in Southern Italy, as this kind of statement of defiance of this will that's going to be imposed upon them. Um, you see that very much, and, and you know, having lots and lots of acquaintances of this mindset, um, there, uh, there are people who legitimately love sort of the Confederate flag and the American flag, even though in the context of the 1860s, those would be, I mean, literally pitted against each other in warfare, right? Right. Uh, because they have kind of backmasked this meaning of not necessarily outright rebellion and secession, but instead sort of defiance onto what the flag means for them. So it's the, the kind of message there, if you've got an American flag next to a Confederate flag, is sort of like, I am an American and you know th- what, what I stand for is kind of a, uh, Oh man, I, I don't know how best to put it other than kind of a localist vision, a kind of individualist vision that, you know, I am an American and I will not have terms dictated to me. Uh, which, which is again curiously the meaning that has been picked up on the flag outside the United States as well as in the case of what Don Doyle means there yeah. all of this is to say that as a flag I mean it is you know as critics of the flag during the controversy in South Carolina were fond of pointing out it's just a piece of cloth um but then again it's not really right um you when you put those things you know when you put those particular uh, stripes those particular stars in that particular pattern together, you get something considerably more potent.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I, as you're talking about the whole Italian context and the way they've kind of used it, they obviously are not appropriating the, the, the racial, uh, meaning that or it, that carry that it carries in this country right it right. carries a racial meaning in this country um, right and and so they're they're not bringing that over but the whole north south divide i'm reminded of a like almost every gangster movie i've ever seen um where the sicilians uh, are always sort of that's almost like a justification for mafioso uh right. behavior is that they had to sort of take care of themselves because of uh, polite society leaving them behind, and, right? And so that's so interesting to me that they would um, use that aspect of the American experience, that symbol of the American experience, to sort of um, uh, speak to that. That that is so cool. <laughs> I yeah, am totally aware of this.
0: Yeah, I added Don Doyle's book to the show notes. It's it's definitely worth checking out. It's 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 very intriguing. And speaking of the mafia, I mean that is um the idea that you know these outsiders are. Not taking care of justice, and we've got to take care of ourselves, right? I mean, that's the justification of the existence of the Klan. I mean, which is just I mean, I mean, and the, the Klan has existed, and I've got a, a bit more to say about this in just a second. But the Klan has existed in multiple permutations, but several of mm-hmm. them are basically predicated as kind of um, you know, a sort of um, uh, back. Uh, oh shoot! I just forgot the word uh back channel justice right and you know yeah we, we, the, these outsiders they don't understand exactly what the conditions are on the ground so we've got you know the local strongmen who are going to take care of things according to our own customs you know and of course we can talk about what those customs mean but that's that's again the uh a kind of weird justification and uh it's partially oh go ahead
2: um I don't think I uh, think that's your kid. Oh okay. Um
0: no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, if, if anybody can hear uh my daughter's uh very vocal. She's downstairs and maybe some sound is drifting up here. And so adorable. you've actually got a yeah, you you've, you've got maybe a fourth host on here today. <laughs> She's always welcome. um Oh well, thank you. Uh but speaking of the clan, that that, is, that kind of brings me to another point I, I had wanted to mention at some point, which is uh about a year ago, I was talking about the whole because I live in South Carolina, even though I'm from georgia um, the the South Carolina thing was kind of very real right and you know I got cussed at by people over the Confederate flag and things like that
1: yeah.
0: um, so I was talking about it with a friend and he is in graphic design and marketing and had a really striking comparison that kind of uh, honestly altered some of the way I thought about the issue, which was that um uh the confederate flag means many different things but at some point you know whoever if you want to think of it as a brand mm. or a trademark uh whoever you know and again this is you know this comparison breaks down but whoever was sort of in charge of that brand let it lapse or yes. they lost control of it uh, and he pointed out that it is entirely possible to lose your trademark simply because you do not rigorously police the way it is used yeah um and if you've ever I subscribed to Rider's Digest for a long time and in every issue there were ads taken out by Kleenex and Xerox and Post It and Rollerblades and all these other companies to remind people who did a lot of writing for a living that these are trademarked names and we are going to sue if they are used in generics.
2: Oh that's um, interesting.
0: <laughs> so when you know so when a group like the clan appropriated what was originally again a symbol carried into battle as a guide on for Local militia units, or you know, reg, you know, state regiments that were fighting in particular armies, and again, the, the even that flag was not used universally by Southern armies during the war. It's it's again kind of taken on the life of its own. Um, by by kind of allowing it to become associated with a group like the Klan, the brand was lost, right? That some of the control was lost, and so it became through association and you know through people not policing it kind of irrevocably tainted with that, which which I thought was um a really interesting way to think of it. So, you know, regardless of what it means to me, right, and as a military historian, I look at it and I see, oh, yeah, regimental colors, right, the the actual national flag of the Confederacy, the the one that stood for the political institutions was different. Uh, that is a piece of finery that is lost on most people, and we'll have more to say about that later probably. Right. Uh, what instead people see is, you know, the Ku Klux Klan scene from A Brother Who Art Thou. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which adds a different, another wrinkle act to it. Actually, um, you know, I, I'm I'm going on a little bit long here, but speaking of the Klan, for a very long time, uh, the Klan used along with the battle flag, uh, the American flag, because especially in the 20s, uh, the Ku Klux Klan, first of all, was not simply Southern. It's and it, even today, it's a national organization. Sure. Um, uh, I think Nathan Gilmore has talked about the neo Nazis and the Klan in Indiana. Yeah. Um, well, and
2: frankly, where I live too. Um, um, yeah. It's very. I mean, I, I see yeah. people on a regular basis with swastika tattoos. Um, and yeah, I wow. was
1: I was gonna say, you get into the rural parts of Pennsylvania, you'll find the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, where I'm from, I'm I'm from very rural Georgia, and the Klan is a joke there. I mean, one of our
0: last Klansmen just passed away, and he was like in his 80s and not respected by anybody
1: yeah.
0: and so it's kind of had this weird history that you know maybe we can do a clan episode if everybody wants to feel depressed <laughs> later uh, but uh for a very long time you know especially with the permutation of the clan that arose in the t- the teens and 20s it was very much uh not simply about you know reconstruction politics or kicking out the carpetbaggers it was a waspy mm-hmm. white supremacist nativist yep. anti-catholic anti-jewish group right um,
1: Dare we say America first. Yes.
0: Yeah. 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 America for Americans. Um,
1: right. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Right. Exactly. And so, you know, I joked about O oh Brother Arthur a minute ago, but the speech that the grand wizard in that, that, uh, scene gives actually accurately reflects the goals of the clan of the 1920s and 30s. Um, um, uh, so yeah, uh, so using you know, so there you see actually the American flag, and you can find photos of the client on parade with hundreds of American flags and not a Confederate flag to be seen, mm-hmm. trying to you know keep America American, right? Yeah. Yeah, um,
1: yeah I, I've gone on a, quite a bit about this. What do y'all have to say?
2: Jay, do you have anything?
1: Well, I was going to say I, I guess I'm. Well, okay, I know that I'm weird, but i grew up in rural pennsylvania and i was still one of those people who would fly a confederate flag i went around on confederate memorial day to you know the local tomb of the unknown civil war soldier and I'm like well they might have been southern so <laughs> yeah. um i've i've tempered myself a bit in that and it's odd that when i moved south that's when i became i guess we'll say less radical about it you know like Jordan and I had the t-shirts and everything, you know, if this flag offends you, you need a history lesson and all that. (laughs) But because it means so many things to so many different people, and each of them can be legitimate depending on their personal experience with the flag, you know, if I know that it's going to offend someone, I'm not going to display it, I'm not going to fly it. So really now the only time that I personally use it is when I'm teaching a segment on the Civil War. And I'll use it as a classroom decoration, along with a whole lot of other Civil War stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's really all that I would say. Now, if someone chooses to fly it, they want to put it on their truck, whatever. That's, as Danny said, a First Amendment issue. And I tend to have a very liberal view of the rights of a citizen. But again, just because something is legal doesn't mean that it's wise. Right. 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 Yeah, and um, I'm glad you put it that way about you know kind of the.
0: Multitude of things that it means to multiple people, all of which can be legitimated. What you, what you eventually get is you know, this kind of comparison of you know personal identities and anecdotes and wounds, and I, I, I find that both unseemly, and I, I also don't like that, the way that kind of pits people against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, what it reminded me of, kind of the way you were describing that, was um, in high school I was really gung-ho about eschatology. Right, I had the Hey Study Bible and everything. <laughs> um, rest in peace, Tim LaHaye. I was yeah. just going to um, say, <laughs> uh, I get to you know, I I got to my small fundamentalist college where I went, and I go to Bible class, and um, you know, I, I kind of you know, they start talking about eschatology, and I suddenly realize that all of these alternate views, you know, millennialism, post millennialism, post trib, pre trib, whatever. Uh, is there a rapture? Is there not? Uh, every one of them can be backed up quote unquote biblically right? right which to me suggested that maybe this issue wasn't so important i didn't need to fight with people other people over it because yep we could all be wrong <laughs> you know i could certainly be wrong um that, that's a little bit strange comparison but that kind of came to mind again um yeah a, a symbol is extremely malleable and what, you know regardless of what the flag originally meant Right and it you know its meaning was quite literally "Follow me, right, right, uh that particular flag anyway, we can talk about others, uh regardless of what it originally meant, you know there's another hundred and fifty years of water under the bridge, and in that time, a lot of other stuff has happened, so
2: yeah. um, well, I have like two sort of closing statements uh, uh before we move on to the next question here um yeah, <laughs> one not for the show no no you're not getting out of that easy uh listener but, um, <laughs> no um first thing uh you jordan was talking about the uh, importance of taking care of your symbols uh and, and keeping you know control of them i think um i'm initially reminded and this is not like the indian culture 's fault, of course, but the Nazis forever changed the image of the swastika right yeah it 's really difficult to wear a swastika now and and claim. Like this sort of Indian religion, religious symbol,
1: you know. Even then, they changed it. The swastika they used is not the same swastika in the religion, but because they look so similar that, yeah, it's ruined.
2: It's totally tainted, right? And so this is obviously not someone not taking care of. This is is the ultimate example of cultural appropriation, I think. Um, And so... Um, so that that's the analogy that comes to mind. And it makes me th- it makes me think about party politics in, in a lot of ways and, and how it's really important. I mean, look at what happened to the Republican Party this year um, mm-hmm. um, is they've completely lost control of the brand um, and, and the. Person speaking, uh, Trump speaking at the uh, at his convention. Um, this was not; they weren't even Republican policies. I think uh, we yeah. mentioned before the City of Man's recap of the Republican convention. I think Coyle did a great. Um, job of noting that that this is not these aren't even this isn't even a Republican candidate basically uh, running under that banner and so I think that that's an important uh, point to be made and and what Jay was saying it was so interesting about how you used to when you lived in the north you kind of were you found the the southern symbol uh, attractive, or this this the southern symbol attractive, and then you kind of stepped away from it a bit once you moved south. And I think that's kind of like like a model for how I I felt when I went to Wild Goose. I, I felt like you know I. When I'm not among all those folks, I tend to agree with most of their positions politically, right? But being in among them, I wanted to step away from that a bit and, and, and not be so, uh, you know, gung-ho about it. And, and I, I felt like that's kind of a nice model for what I want to do with the show in general. So, um, so no, that was uh, really good. I, I I realized that was probably a... a unwise question to ask because we could go on forever. uh, Um, just about that one issue because it's so nuanced one issue, one question Mm -hmm. I have in mind that maybe we'll just set aside for another time. Um, is uh, why is it important that the Confederate flag was a battle flag and not a national flag, right? And, and so I think that that the, that's an interesting question that I have. What's at stake with that distinction? Uh, and, and I don't expect you guys to answer that right now, but uh, I, I could
0: I could give you maybe a minute or two. If go, you, if all right, go ahead. Want to run the risk of me? Since, since I yeah, again, on you, as, yeah. yeah, I mean I, I've gradually yeah so Civil War was one of the very first historical things I was interested in, and I've come yep. back to it since grad school uh, in a much more serious scholarly way and I'm also like I said an amateur vexillologist uh, i love I love flags um kind of what's at stake there is uh, sort of just just a general muddying of the waters uh very frequently people call it you know the confederate like the confederate flag um well part of the problem is that there was for a good bit of the Civil War, not an official Confederate flag, not an official flag of the Confederacy as a whole. Uh, when they actually did the design one, it was the stars and bars, which is not what we would recognize as the Confederate flag. Instead, it was a um, – it actually looked too similar to the American flag, so it was changed several years in. Uh, it had three stripes, red, white, red, mm-hmm. and a uh, blue field with a circle of stars, right? Um This this I'm stealing my own thunder here. I wanted to joke about this later, but uh, (laughs) there was a Confederate flag controversy in Georgia for a while because there had been for about 40 years a uh, the battle flag as part of the Georgia state flag, right? Uh, And I mean, it was like a hot button issue there for a while, and um, eventually they changed it to something that was voted by the uh, some vexillological vexillological association as the ugliest flag in North America (laughs) Um, because they tried to please everybody and came up with this monstrosity. Eventually what they settled on and what is the current flag is actually the stars and bars with the, (laughs) I mean, excuse me, with the Georgia state seal in the center of the circle of stars. And nobody said boo. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: So what we've substituted is the battle. Instead of the battle flag, we now have the actual first national flag of the Confederacy But because it is not high profile, because it is not recognized as such. It flies under the radar. Um, that is so interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, and it's it's also, it also uh, and and to the credit of you know I think most of the people speaking out in behalf of the flag are not doing so from a position of you know white supremacy or outright racism. I mean, then th- this is one of the reasons this is so contentious is because you've got incommensurate worldviews on yeah. either side of the debate, and sure. of course, then you've also got various other kinds of wild cards and you know people who just want to watch the world burn. Um, The people on the pro flag side usually are thinking of, you know, ancestors who fought in the army, or, you know, they do recognize that the battle flag is a soldier's flag, and that was part of the argument about the flag that was flying on the, uh, not on the state house, but on the grounds of the state house in Columbia. Um, Specifically, a square flag with a white border which was even less recognizable than the one that Bubba flies from the back of his pickup, right? (laughs) Um, Which is specifically the flag of the Army of Northern Virginia, uh, Robert E. Lee's army. Um, I I had a point that I was heading toward here, but I've started to kind of stray a little bit. Uh, Point being, what we've got is a kind of a conflation of what was originally a guide-on for soldiers specifically, um, you know, to lead them into the smoke and haze of a 19th century battle. Uh, which has gradually kind of become conflated with the confederacy as a political movement. Um, Mm -hmm. Very frequently I'll see, you know, some of the more reasoned arguments I've seen against the flag are that it represents, you know, rebellion against the union or rebellion on behalf of uh, political ideals that we no longer find salutary. And that's not what that flag at least initially represented. It has kind of, you know, in the minds of some people, it's come to mean that since then, but that's not the original intention. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, I'll stop my summary there. Well,
2: no, and I feel like, I mean, that's the point of, that's why we're doing this show, is that right. symbols, whether they're monumental or in this case uh, a flag, and by the way, you're talking about your hobby with flags. I'm, I'm reminded of those episodes of the Big Bang Theory where Sheldon and Amy do their Fun with Flags YouTube channel, and I I, I think you should <laughs> yeah. start one of those. Um,
0: <laughs> but uh, I, I really do love flags.
2: But uh, uh, this is not like an Aristotelian process where there is a a solid meaning that is just handed down. I mean, that meaning changes over time. Uh, And and so that's the whole point. That's the reason that it's important to sit back and reflect on the way that we consume these kinds of symbols, whether they're monumental or or in this case in a flag. So um, now that was great. Sorry. No, go
0: ahead. I I was just going to say, and as a wannabe Aristotelian, that's one of the things that I've had to like really (laughs) work hard, kind of like grasp and be empathetic toward.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, right. We all want um, things to mean things, <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and, and the, but it's, there's a dialectical process through history here, um, right? Not to show my cards, but um, um, <laughs> uh, so I talked a bit about Hungary in the opening. Uh, is there a long history of this kind of social pressure on 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 history in America, or is this just a recent phenomenon? And, and let Jordan take this uh, the lead on this one, I guess.
0: Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, to to inflict with the listeners with more of my <laughs> mellifluous rambling. What um, a great word. <laughs> yeah, not, not not to steal a little bit of Jay's thunder here, going by the show uh, notes. But um, feel free. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just uh, kind of for the larger context, because I love the long durée. Right. Um, this this is a very very old inclination, and I, I see two basic reasons behind it. I mean, as far back as ancient Babylon, you know, conquerors would come in and overthrow the images of their predecessors, right? Mm -hmm. right. Uh, Which is very, you know, you know, you don't need to be an expert in semiotics to get what's going on
1: there,
2: right? And the Taliban Uh, does that. I mean, this is That was a really uh, horrific moment in like world history when the Taliban did the same thing in Afghanistan. So,
1: right, right,
0: yeah, and you've got ISIS now destroying, Mm -hmm. you know. Two thousand year old monuments because of you know ideological and religious factors um so i mean those are those are my two basic uh the two basic um, kind of categories I see this falling under with lots and lots of overlap, of course uh, because especially in the ancient world there's not there's not a lot of light between um, not a lot of sunlight between politics and religion right. right. Uh, so, in uh, a very famous example of this, and one that came repeatedly to mind during, for instance, the Confederate flag controversy and some other issues that arose, was the Roman custom of the damnatio memoriae, yep. which you know, again, don't need to be an expert in Latin to kind of figure out what's going on with the name, uh, you know, the damnation of memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was uh, this was a punishment that could be actually carried out by state decree of yep, yep. Uh, obliterating. The names of people from inscriptions of literally defacing statues, uh, things like that. Um, tellingly, it didn't work because <laughs> we know about people who had the <laughs> Domnantio memoria decreed against them, um, which we can get into with you know some of our own recent controversies. You know, does w- would getting rid of these symbols actually accomplish anything? And you know, two thousand years on, we still know about you know, some of the people whose memory was damned by the Romans. Uh, the point though, was that, you know, even, even if we can't literally erase the memory of these people, we have managed to say something about how we as a polity are going to react to to a certain thing. Right.
1: Right.
0: And for the Romans that has both political and religious overtones, because again, these were not exactly separable categories in their minds. Um, uh, another big area of overlap uh, that I thought of was, um, you know the political and re- the religious motivations of kind of um, in my mind vandalism uh, in you know the minds of the reformers during the Reformation iconoclasm destroying idols mm. uh, yeah. and you see the overlap yeah. of the political yeah. and religious in places like Geneva right um, I've been to the chapel where Calvin preached, and only recently have they actually begun to do these kind of like Archaeological restorations, where they've removed some of the whitewash that the Calvinists had put up over these amazing medieval murals, mm. right? Um, which is making both a political statement because you know Calvin's Geneva was essentially a, you know theocratic, uh, but also religious you know motivation. We're going to destroy these idols set up by you know the benighted people of the past or whatever. Right. Uh, and you can see that really nakedly in the reign of Henry VIII in England, right? Yep. Where you know you've got a religious motivation behind. The adoption of the Reformation and the destroying of the uh, the monastery throughout England but there's also some really serious political factors there as well um, and I'm glad you mentioned the Taliban uh, Danny and you know like uh, ISIS like I said blowing up ancient monuments in Palmyra and things like that right. um, these are just probably the most recent iterations of that and again you can kind of see the overlap of the political and the religious um, we kind of enjoy a, you know, for a zillion reasons but we kind of enjoy a Privileged position in the United States, in that we can actually kind of step back and separate the political and the religious. Yeah. So you will find, you know, just to keep using the Confederate flag thing, you'll you'll find people of all political persuasions and all religious persuasions on different sides using these, you know, using their points of view for different ends in uh, controversies like this. Um, but yeah, this is by no means original to the United States, and it's not even original to this time period for us, um, uh, Jay kind of noted what they did with monuments to you know, King George, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. following the revolution. Uh, one of the images I show my classes when I talk about the revolution is, um, a painting from the early 19th century of New Yorkers pulling down an equestrian statue of the King. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: very, very strikingly similar to the photos we had of, you know, people from Baghdad pulling down the uh, excuse me, the statue of Saddam, right? Yeah. Um,
2: well and honestly the the image that I kind of created for this show has a picture of Stalin with right. a metal rebar or something coming out of his nose, and, and I have the mm. you know whatever the, the Confederate flag kind of over that. But I mean, Stalin famously, I mean, erased people literally from photographs, right? Right. Who <laughs> yes. didn't want to yeah. be associated <laughs> with uh, with the communist cause, right? And so, right. And so, and yet, um, his statue in the end gets effaced, and yet we remember all these people anyway. And, and so, right. uh, it's a it's a really interesting impulse uh, in world history um, to uh, to do this sort of um, effacing of, of yeah. memory in order to own the narrative. I think this came up earlier, uh, mm-hmm. like with about the civil war. Um, the Jay, you had mentioned the, the, who was it? Janie, I think talked about, mm-hmm. uh, who, who got to define the narratives by leaving the monuments behind. And I think that this is, uh, um, what we see here. Uh, Jay, do you yeah. have, uh, you have stuff here too, right?
1: Well, Jordan touched on most of the examples as he was talking. The one thing that came to mind was, um, you know to bring something else we could go on and on about would be the crusades um especially as you have churches becoming mosques and mosques becoming churches yeah yeah you know talk about religion and politics going hand in hand yeah anyway um so i think we've talked mainly about like what we re- what we're remembering and how we remember but you know i think that there's an overarching question you know should we re- should we remember mm. why do we as a society remember what we do you know we're always told you know don't uh who is it Santayana's: those who don't remember the past are doomed to repeat it right something like that like there's this moral imperative to remember every single detail about history so we get things right the next time round but really what is the necessity of remembering everything for example i don't know very many people who commemorate the battle of hastings Right. Uh, I do. I, I do. I do because you know it's from that date that you can trace the long, slow decline of our family. But <laughs> you know, so it's it's a dark day in the Eldred household. You know, but I, I, I guess I I guess I struggle to understand because as far as
0: I know, the posses have always been plebes.
2: <laughs> yeah, the Andersons. I think we just kind of I think uh, emerged fully formed out of. Uh, out of coal mines, I think I think I stole that from Nathan Gilmore. Um, but go ahead. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, sorry. So <laughs> while I might remember it, you know, I don't expect to have you know like I would not expect England to have some national day of remembrance or day of mourning for it necessarily. I imagine that there would be some who would, and I don't live there, so <clears throat> I'm I'm not sure. I would imagine that the battles of World War One and World War Two would be more in their line of Cultural remembrance, but,
2: but isn't there a place yes. for mourning? I mean, memory as mourning. Uh, I mean, this is the whole like next year in Jerusalem thing, isn't mm-hmm. it? Uh, I mean, the, the, there's there's a beauty to that, isn't there?
1: It, well, to uh, to steal from Chris Garrett's, you know, to teach history is to mourn. Mm. Yeah. So you know, That's I, such <laughs> a great title. <laughs> yes, I I can't speak highly enough of of that article. So I won't. I won't steal his thunder more but yes definitely there's a there's a place for mourning but at some point we also need to I don't want to say erase it from our memory but we do need to forget we do need to move on in some way
2: mm.
1: which is which is strange for an historian to say but there mm. is some truth to it that you we can't live in the past we can study it we can learn from it but we can't live in it
2: Jason Isbell. Makes sense. Jason Isbell on his newest album has a, uh, a song called How to Forget, which is a really great song. So, yeah, there's, there's some truth here, I think you're saying. You're making me think a little bit. That's good.
1: Yeah. And uh, so, go ahead. So as cultural memory or as a society, we want to find some meaning in the past. You know, otherwise, what was it all for? Right. Mm-hmm. And so when we come to these monuments, to these symbols. We're trying to find some form of meaning for them that's relevant to our society, to our cultural life. Maybe not to me individually, but we want it to make sense for some reason. And when that memorial or when that symbol no longer reflects our current, whatever passes for normal in current society, or when it becomes impossible to appropriate them for a certain cause, then I think we have the backlash that, well, what's this for? We should just tear it down. Mm-hmm.
2: Right, uh, but that's not the kind of forgetting that we need to be doing. Right?
1: No. Okay. <laughs> I just want to no. be clear
2: about that. Okay.
1: The the kind of forgetting is we we have dealt with it. We've moved. Uh, and again, forgetting is not the the right word, but I can't think of a better one to use there. Again, I've drawn quite a bit of my notes from In Praise of Forgetting by David Reith, but um, and again, even he admits that forgetting isn't isn't the best word for it, but it's more of a moving on rather than a forgetting.
2: I, there's almost like a psychological term that we should be using. Um, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. we should get Hackney from the Book of Nature. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if, he, if he ever listens to this, maybe he can chime in with the term we're looking for. But yeah. Um, we need some
1: sort of very long German term. I was <laughs> just going to say there's probably a very long German word for it that's escaping my mind at the moment. Kult- Kultur, vergessen <laughs> <laughs> German speakers. If, if it didn't exist it
2: does now hi everybody Danny Anderson here interrupting myself and Jay and Jordan Uh, just to let you know that we went about two hours with this episode so I'm going to cut the first half right here tune in in a couple of weeks to hear the second part of this conversation Thanks for listening to Sectarian Review. Download us again next month for another hour of criticism, reviews, and opinion. In the meantime, check out our Facebook page and send us an email at sectarianreview at gmail.com. Sectarian Review is a part of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Eternal thanks to Kristen Philippic, intrepid press liaison. Until next time, remember the words of Kafka, don't despair, not even over the fact that you don't despair. Bye.